This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, October 3rd, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellums. This is your public radio station, KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Northwest Arkansas will be on national television for three days beginning today. The Golf Channel providing live afternoon coverage of the third annual Blessings Collegiate Invitational presented by Tyson Foods at Blessings Golf Club in Fayetteville. In-person attendance today, tomorrow, and the day after that, free. Ahead this hour on our show, the life of Gerald L.K. Smith. The anti-Semitic public figure ran for president on the America First ticket, spoke to rallies of thousands, and eventually moved to Eureka Springs to be the driving force behind the creation of the Christ of the Ozarks. We'll hear about him and from him in archives from the Prior Center in about 12 minutes. We start with advocacy for the arts in Arkansas. Tomorrow, the group Arkansans for the Arts will be at the state capitol to highlight the positive effects strong support of the arts can have in the state. Last week, we reached Dylan Hupp, a member of the Arkansans for the Arts Board of Directors and the chair of tomorrow's event. He says the group's efforts are focused on one big objective. The goal is basically to promote the arts in Arkansas, um, mainly in a, you know, particularly in like a, a way that leads to more favorable legislation, lawmaking, policy, et cetera, for artists and other members of what we call the creative economy here in Arkansas. Advocacy, Arts Advocacy Day is approaching. We'll talk about the specific theme in a moment. How, how long has this been going on, having a specific day, and has it always been at the Capitol? Not always, but, I mean, theoretically, yes. So this is our third one. Uh, the first one was in 2018, and that was in person at the state capitol. 2020, obviously, was not in person, so that was a virtual advocacy day. Um, and so this year, you know, is our, our return to in person at the capitol. It's at the capitol. And, I mean, I, I'm not going to just assume why it's at the capitol, but it's at the capitol is sort of this metaphorical and literal introduction or reminder to policymakers about the arts? That's exactly right. You know, while the event is open to the general public, the audience, you know, the, the target audience for us is really the lawmakers, the policymakers, the folks who could impact the way that um, we, you know, support um, and, and encourage arts and artists and, and creative economy folks here in Arkansas. The theme for 2022 is building the future of Arkansas's economy through the arts and technology. So obviously this sort of approach of arts just isn't good for the soul. It's good for the pocketbook. Yeah, I mean, that's our whole thing is that arts is economic development. You know, um, the arts bring it's something the arts bring something like two point nine billion dollars to the annual GDP of the state of Arkansas. Over 100,000 Arkansans are employed in the creative economy. So, you know, it's about you know, arts equals jobs, arts equals tourism, tourism equals money, right? So uh, that's really the, the, the crux of what we want people and particularly legislators and lawmakers to start understanding is that, you know, certainly art is important for art's sake, right? We need as a society to be able to have cultural expression and, and shared experiences like that. But that doesn't always move the needle when it comes to, you know, appropriating funds and things like that when you have a lot of competing interests. So we want people to really understand how important the arts are to the bottom line here in Arkansas. Technology's in that title of the theme. It's arts and technology. How do those mm -hmm. two work together? Well, in very unique and interesting ways. Um, we did a whole series of boot camps that were actually codified into law by, by an act in the legislature. Um, and over the course of the last year or so, you know, we hosted several of these arts and technology boot camps around the state specifically to look at where those interactions happen. You know, we had one uh, here at the, the Arkansas Regional Innovation Hub, which is a great example of where arts and technology intersect. You know, these makers spaces that we create where artists can come and use high-end tech to apply their trades and things like that. We did one in Pine Bluff, you know, where we learned about um, how GIS mapping fits into some artistic stuff and how it can help, for example, create something like the uh, Arkansas, uh, I think it's the Rhythm and Blues, uh, the, the, the trail in, in, in the Delta area of the state to, to kind of commemorate that, the, the state's, um, that part of the state's 
contributions to the, the musical industry in the last uh, century or so. So it's, it's really, it, it also, you know, taking technology and connecting it to the arts also helps expand our understanding of what a creative economy is. And it makes sense too. I mean, you know, isn't there some artistry if you're, if you're designing a robot, right? Isn't there artistry if you're using new software to help with graphic design or, or frankly, if you're using new software to map the human body and learn how you can better do heart surgery and something like that. So we really are trying to make sure people understand how it can impact every facet of, of, of our life and our economy. There will be breakout sessions during these four hours. There will be performances. And I know that there will be some people speaking that are members of the Legislative Arts Caucus. I have to admit, I'm sorry, I didn't realize there was a Legislative Arts Caucus. Yes, there is. Uh, we, so in 2018, we started it. Um, that was the, 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 big, the big focus of the first Advocacy Day was basically to announce the Legislative Arts Caucus. The big kind of keynote event of this year's event, if you will, is um, the members of the Legislative Arts Caucus will be um, unveiling uh, a report they've put together about arts and technology from these boot camps that we did. But yeah, you know, it, it's a bipartisan caucus. Um, you know, certainly it's full of uh, Democrats and Republicans alike. Um, I know you guys are, are up in Northwest Arkansas. Representative Denise Gardner, for example, is a member. Um, she's, she's one of our more active members. But, you know, it, 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 it's co-chaired by uh, uh, Joyce Elliott, Senator Joyce Elliott, who represents the Senate side, and Representative um, Les Warren from Hot Springs, who represents the, the House side. So, yeah, it's a truly uh, bipartisan uh, group of a couple of dozen members of both houses of the legislature um, focusing on helping to advocate for the creative economy. Right. This takes place from 9 to 1 at the Capitol on Tuesday. When the regular session convenes in early 2023, are you able to have a presence there? I know that there's going to be, you know, people talk about K-12 through education and, and all sorts mm -hmm. of other matters. Are you able to have a presence at all, at all during the regular session? Well, I mean, uh, it, not in the sense we know. We certainly we don't do like lobbying or anything like that. But, uh, you know, our, our presence in the session is that we are represented by the Legislative Arts Caucus that does meet and discusses the issues that are important to us as advocates in the creative economy. Um, so, you know, as issues come up, uh, we, you know, we will work with them to make sure that the interests of artists and, and creative economy folks are, are, are being looked out for at the Capitol. Dylan, what art do you um, partake in? I partake in all manner of art as a, um, a patron and an enjoyer of it, uh, and almost none as an artist. I have very little talent, but my, my, you know, my day job, I do, um, uh, I'm a director for a small arts nonprofit here in Little Rock. We put on uh, performances. We hire uh, performers from all over the world to come perform here in Little Rock and North Little Rock. We run an art gallery where we showcase uh, local art um, from Arkansas artists. And my dad, you know, is a is a theater director by trade, and my mom um, is a ballerina by trade. So I grew up with a with a deep appreciation for the arts and the performing arts and all things in that sphere, um, despite inheriting none of my parents' actual literal artistic talent. Well, you know what, directing an artistic nonprofit that is a work of art in of itself. So, <laughs> well, thank you very much. I like to think that way too. So, <laughs> where can people learn more about Arkansans for the Arts? Our website, ArkansansForTheArts.org, that's the best way to uh, interact with us right now. Um, it's chock full of great information about what the creative economy is, why it's so important here in Arkansas, the major impact that it has. And of course, if you are an artist or an art lover or just someone who wants to continue to see this area of the economy in Arkansas move forward, I'd encourage you to become a member of Arkansans for the Arts. Anyone can join. We have tons of different levels of membership, um, ranging from individual all the way up to, you know, if you're an organization with hundreds and hundreds of employees. Uh, our membership is the main way that we have a, a, a presence throughout the state, in addition to our board of directors, which is made up of folks from, from every corner of the state. Dylan Hupp is a member of the Arkansans for the Arts Board of Directors. He's chairing the event this year, Arkansas Advocacy Days, taking place Tuesday from 9 to 1 at the Arkansas State Capitol. Dylan, thanks so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hope you all come out on Tuesday.
Arkansas PBS will present Election 2022 Arkansas PBS Debates October 17th through the 21st. The debate series will feature 24 candidates in nine races, including Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Attorney General, Secretary of State, U.S. Senate, and U.S. Congressional Districts. Complete schedule and live streaming information at myarpbs.org slash elections. Arkansas SHIP, the Arkansas Senior Health Insurance Information Program, announces open enrollment now through December 7th. Arkansas SHIP offers free, confidential, unbiased, and educational advice for those needing to find the best Medicare Part D drug plan for 2023. For more, 1-800-224-6330. This is Ozarks at Large. The state of Arkansas is suing the Biden administration for its plan to cancel hundreds of billions of dollars in student loan debt. Attorney General Leslie Rutledge last week announced Arkansas and five other states are suing President Joe Biden, Education Secretary Miguel Cordona, and the United States Department of Education regarding the proposal. The president's actions violate the law and are beyond his authority as president of the United States. The Department of Education is required under the law to collect the balance due to these loans. President Biden does not have the authority to override that. The Attorney General says President Biden's plan relies on a 2003 law known as the HEROES Act, which allows for student loan forgiveness for those who've suffered economic hardship resulting from a national emergency. She says the president's assertion that the COVID-19 pandemic qualifies as a national emergency is not lawful. The HEROES Act was meant to provide relief to our troops. And it's a disgrace that the president is trying to bail out adult college students who voluntarily took out these loans. The announcement last week came the same day the Biden administration announced a major rollback to the student loan forgiveness plan, potentially excluding millions of borrowers from obtaining debt relief. The Single Parent Scholarship Fund of Northwest Arkansas reports its dry pantry is dangerously low. They say with the cost of living on the rise, single parents need help more than ever. Items requested include toilet paper, paper towels, laundry detergent, toothpaste, feminine hygiene products, shampoo and conditioner, and dish show. Items can be dropped off at the Single Parent Scholarship Fund of Northwest Arkansas office at 2601 Southwest D Street in Bentonville, Monday through Thursday from 8 to 4.30 or by appointment on Fridays. There is also a shop online option to have the item sent straight to the agency. You can find out more at spsfnwa.org. That the enemies of Christ and our way of life have organized a worldwide conspiracy and a worldwide plot to destroy this constitutional republic and all Christian civilization. Even before I introduce you, Randy, we got to tell people what they heard. Because that can be shocking to hear on its own. Well, it'll certainly get your attention on yeah. a Monday, won't it? Yeah. Who was that? That was Gerald L. K. Smith, and you probably have have never heard of him, but uh, he was big. Well, I guess you would say in the, the, from the Depression on into the early seventies. Yes. All right. Now that we've established who we heard, and we'll hear much more about him in a minute. I will tell you that sitting with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio is Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. As we do every Monday, we're going to look back at a part of Arkansas history, and not all history is comfortable. Well, that's true. And this, uh, actually, Gerald L.K. Smith kind of came to Arkansas later in life. So I thought maybe we would just sort of set up who this guy is yes. and then we'll bring into his in his Arkansas connection which which will become quite evident and literally a big part of yes. this region a tall yes. part yes yes but all right for his background he was born in Wisconsin right around the turn of the century i believe it was in 1898 mm-hmm. uh his father was um a traveling salesman, but he was also a preacher on the side. Mainly, he would uh, preach at patriotic type occasions, you know, for those type of holidays. Right. So um, he was he was actually an ordained minister by the time he was eighteen years old. Gerald L. K. Smith. Yes. Yes. Um, 
And after the stock market crash in 1929, he moved to Shreveport uh, because of his wife's health. And they thought that the, the, the treatment in Shreveport, Louisiana, was, was good. Um, while he was there, he, he uh, had a, a ministry. It was on the radio, but he was also... Um, the chaplain for the Louisiana uh, American Federation of Labor. So that's sort of how he got started in politics. Uh, the, the biggest draw for him was he met Huey P. Long. The, the bigger-than-life governor of Louisiana. And very controversial, yeah. yes. Um, and then became U.S. senator for Louisiana. But uh, in 1934... Huey P. Long uh, formed the Share Our Wealth Society uh, and made Smith uh, the, the national organizer. And Share Our Wealth was sort of an alternative to Roosevelt's New Deal. It limited the amount of income per household or kept it within a range. Okay. And it would, as they said, share the wealth. Um so here's a here's a portion of a speech, and and he was known for his what oratory skills, and we'll hear more about that in a minute. But here's just an example of uh, how this guy operated, uh, and this is from 1936. These great phenomenal assemblies, whether they be headed by Dr. Francis E. Townsend. Gerald Smith or Father Charles E. Coughlin represent the unmistakable edict that is being issued to the corrupt, thieving politicians of America that the baby heaven stump grubbing, sod busting, go to meeting, God fearing American people are about to take over the United States government of America. Our uh, profile is on Gerald L.K. Smith this week. Yes, and he was a follower of Huey, Huey P. Long, Long, who hated Roosevelt, uh, was against everything uh, that Roosevelt stood for, the New Deal, and um, all of his politics. But in 1935, Long was assassinated. Right. And, you know, Smith's beliefs kind of made an ugly turn. Right. But I, I wanted to know more about this early part of, of uh, Smith's life. Because I, I know about what happened in Arkansas, right. and that's, that's coming I up, know, but I that's know. where we use the KTV <laughs> yes. archives. But um, I spoke to one of our history professors, uh, Dr. Patrick Williams, who is well-versed on Smith and the politics at the time. Throughout his life, he would claim, claim to be a disciple of Long. He never repudiated Long, but he very quickly moves into an explicitly um, anti-Semitic white supremacist um, politics. He becomes one of the nation's noisiest anti-Semites, uh, publishes a, a anti-Semitic magazine, The Cross and the Flag, for almost 30 years from 1942 until his death in the 19. 70s. He's a leader of of um, far right movements with names that have a sort of contemporary resonance for us: the American First Party, the Christian Nationalist Crusade. Um, he's really um, one of America's better known, best known players of this policy, of this politics of ethnic and racial supremacy, dresses it up in the, in the sleep, sheep's clothing of, of religious faith. We're setting up as Gerald L. K. Smith still isn't in Arkansas yet. Right. So he, Smith kind of went out on his own after uh, Long 
died, and he announced his intent to form an independent movement to, as he put it, oppose communism and seize the government of the United States. Okay. Yeah. Well, that led to the formation of the America First Party. Sound familiar? It does. Yes. Um, This party, along with Smith's Christian Nationalist Crusade, uh, was often compared to fascism, Mm -hmm. uh, Nazism, Mm -hmm. the Ku Klux Klan. Well, he even ran for president uh, in 1944 on the America First uh, Party candidate against Roosevelt. So um, he continued this rhetoric that, that you'll hear um, coming up about what Christian nationalism is. This, is. this is from the 1950s. Motive behind the term Christian nationalist is easy to define and simple to interpret. We believe that the destiny of America in relationship to its governing authority must be kept in the hands of our own people. We must never be governed by aliens. We must keep control of our own money and our own blood. In other words, we must remain true to the Declaration of Independence. That is nationalism. We believe that the spiritual symbol of our statesmanship is the cross, which indeed is the symbol of Christianity. We believe that the inspiring dynamic out of which America grew is Christianity. We believe that there would be no real America such as we love and for which we're willing to die if there had been no Christianity. Thus, when a Christian is a nationalist, he becomes necessarily a Christian nationalist. Gerald L. K. Smith may have been seen uh, by many on the fringe, right, third party, but he was someone who was not unknown. People knew who Gerald L. K. Smith was, and he made an effort to get his beliefs out there through pamphlets and speeches and appearances. That's right. He was no shrinking violet. And right, and he was um, he was quite good at uh, I guess you would call rabble rousing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times he would give this a fiery speech, and people would be very excited about it, and moved. They action. wouldn't even know what he had said. Yeah. But he had moved them to, uh, to act, maybe not knowing what they were acting on. All right, so we've got him born in Wisconsin. We've got him in Louisiana. We've got him with the American First Party. What's he okay. got to do with Arkansas? Well, in the mid-60s, he came to Arkansas. And so I talked to my old boss, Jim Pitcock, who, um, well, he'll pick up the story and tell you why we wanted to interview him. He ended up in Arkansas, uh, Eureka Springs, built an old, uh, he, he bought an older home there and then renovated it. And uh, he, he really gave Eureka Springs a shot on the arm. And he started getting a lot of publicity for this uh, uh Christ of the Ozark statue that he was building. So we decided to go up and let's see if we could get an interview with it. So there it is. Yeah. yeah. Christ of the Ozarks. Yeah. So here's the nineteen sixty five interview Jim Pitcock was just talking about, and it took place with Smith and his wife Elna at the foot of the Christ of the Ozark statue. Uh, that was still under construction, had scaffolding up at the time. Here's that interview. Well, the world has always had enemies of Christ, and uh, it's been my observation that when Christ is really lifted up and glorified, he draws contemptuous remarks from a wide variety of areas. But uh, today, thousands of people are coming from all over the world to even see this statue in the period of construction. And it's estimated that a million people a year will come here to symbolize their love for and their tribute to their Savior, Jesus Christ. Sir, you've also received criticism for uh, your past life. Do you have any comment on that? Well, I believe that the criticism is an honor to my lifetime career. 
Here in Eureka Springs, we have developed an archives and a file which will glorify people who have been our very personal friends, including General Douglas MacArthur, the late Henry Ford, the great industrialist Charles Lindbergh, the late assassinated uh, Huey P. Long of Louisiana. These men were all our very personal friends in times of great controversy when we were subjected to intense criticism. Seven foot, or seven story, yeah. uh, tall statue. Um, and I understand, and this was 2017, but the New York Times said it was the fourth uh, most popular statue to be visited in the United States. Hmm. And it was uh, fourth behind the Lincoln Memorial. Statue of Liberty's got to be in there. Statue of Liberty and Mount Rushmore. Okay. Now, as a matter of fact, the sculptor who worked on this statue. Christ of the Ozarks. Right. Yeah. Actually uh, worked on Mount Rushmore. Oh. Hmm. So he had skilled uh, help. Yes. Yes. Uh, with this. But he had a vision of opening an entire Christian, I guess, theme park. Mm -hmm. And to some degree, it happened. That's right. Because right after he dedicated the Christ of the Ozarks statue, he saw sort of a natural amphitheater mm -hmm. close by and built the Great Passion Play. Right. Which is still being conducted today. That's right. Um, you know, it has a cast of hundreds. Uh, they're live animals. Um, I think the, uh, the seating is about 6,000. Ooh, I didn't realize it was that um, big, yeah. I believe so. Um, and, you know, it's about Christ's final week and his resurrection. But I found another KTV interview with Smith, mm -hmm. and this was in 1972, uh, he was still involved in his politics and his causes. And in this interview, he talks about the presidential politics at the time and the fact that then-Governor Dale Bumpers had not accepted his invitation to come attend the Passion Play. My mission in life is to use my vast experience to help fulfill my dreams. I believe that reminiscence and dwelling on the past is a dangerous vice for an elderly man. I think we ought to have more elderly people talking about what they're going to do tomorrow rather than what they did 20 years ago in Chicago or New York or Little Rock. What are you going to do tomorrow? Well, I'm going to keep on my propaganda activity in which I'm the mother's milk for 2,000 right-wing organizations that don't want McGovern in the White House. Who do you want in the White House? Well, the man I wanted in the White House got shot, so I've had to take the lesser of two evils and. I'm supporting Richard Nixon. What do you feel about the present administration in Arkansas? Well, I think the governor's doing a good job. I don't see how a man as intelligent as he is could allow the Gazette to twist his arm to the point where he'd be afraid to come and see the biggest tourist attraction in the state of Arkansas at Eureka Springs. Is his invitation still open? No. I've closed the invitation, I've put the red carpet away, and if he wants to see the Passion Play, he's going to have to buy a ticket. How many people are you attracting up there now every year? Well, over a million have come to see the statue this year. They've registered from 41 foreign nations. Our attendance will be 47% above last year, which will run at some place between 150 and 200,000. What do you feel is the most important issue in this year's presidential campaign? The most important issue is to keep McGovern out of the White House because he's on the wrong side of everything. No, Dale Bumpers, Governor Dale Bumpers is going to have to buy a ticket. The red carpet is up. Yeah. And to my knowledge, Dale Bumpers never did buy a ticket. To no, he didn't. And he, he never went. And, uh, and did, did you notice he was talking about the presidential politics oh, and that his candidate had been shot? That's George Wallace. Yes. Yeah. So, so obviously um, he was for the— Sure. Uh, George Wallace, who famously... Racist candidate. Exactly. Uh, and, um, Will, you can describe Gerald L. K. Smith myriad ways, but he was often sure of his opinions. McGovern's wrong on everything. Oh, everything. <laughs> end, of, end of my critical thinking about it. Yeah, and, yeah. It, you know, well, if we got to go with somebody, we'll go with Nixon. Right. Yeah. 
So we caught up with him again in 75, KTV did. And these comments, um, I got to warn you. Yeah. It, it really shows his uh, anti-Semitism. You're going to hear a comment. We're not going to bleep it because it, you really got to hear this to understand Gerald and, L.K. Smith. And he had no problem saying it. No. And, you know, I guess he still held a grudge against Dale Bumpers mm-hmm. for not going to the passion play because this is after Bumpers defeated Fulbright right. for the Senate seat, and, well, Smith had a problem with that. So I'm filing a petition with the Department of Justice, and I'm filing petition with the Commission on Elections of the Congress of the United States asking for a Watergate-type investigation of Senator Bumpers and how he used that Jew money that was used to retire William Fulbright from the United States Senate. The reason I'm interested in this is because it's all a part of a mechanical, political operation among people who hate the name of Jesus Christ. Oof. Okay. I mean, um, right? There's there, there's no there's no way to he did not miss that. words. No. So there's there's your anti-Semitism on full display. But now you know, despite his, I guess, bigoted baggage. He did do good things uh, for the economy of Eureka Springs. If you think about in the mid-60s, tourism had just dropped off because Eureka Springs was originally known as a health Mm -hmm. uh, spa area and springs. Mm -hmm. And um, it had kind of dropped off. And here's Jim Pitcock to talk about what he saw in the mid 60s of of what smith did for the area and to this day it is still a a place where a lot of tourists uh you know go to the area to go a see a statue and b to attend the passion play which uh uh smith started back in oh i think it was a couple of years after he finished the statue and the, the passion play draws, draws uh, visitors from all over the country. And they will often stay two or three, four days in that area. And they might see the passion play, uh, you know, twice while they're there on a visit. So it has been, as far as a tourist attraction, it has been a boon for the Eureka Springs area. I wanted to talk a little more about that. I tried to contact the the passion play folks and they no response no response didn't return my calls but i did talk to the chamber of commerce and uh, mike seals uh talked about the the tourism aspect of of all of that the most attended outdoor uh drama in the u.s i believe over the years, they're approaching like 8 million attendees to the show. And uh, for Eureka Springs, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a centerpiece and a cornerstone of our tourism industry for over 50 years. And, and it, continues, it continues to be a, 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 an important part of our of our tourism business, uh, maybe not as big as it used to be 20, 30 years ago, uh, because Eureka Springs has so much to offer. You want to hear a little more of his rhetoric? Yeah. Just, um, I just. I think just to put it in context, we should. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's hear from Gerald L.K. Smith one more time. Maintain a government set up by the majority, which abuses no minority, and is abused by no minority. Fight mongrelization and all attempts being made to force the intermixture of the black and white races. You know, it's, I want to say that, you know, we all have complicated histories. This isn't really, Gerald L. K. Smith's is not a complicated history. It's an ugly history. And I will tell you, um, I had a grandparent who was enamored of Gerald L. K. Smith. Thought really? he oh yes. Thought he was 
saying all the things that needed to be said. So it takes all kinds to make history. I guess so. What do you got for us next week? I don't know. I, I just saw the Cape Brothers at George's. Well, I like this. Um, what, what about, you know, we've interviewed both Cape Brothers, the Prior Center has, mm-hmm. and some band members, and um, I recorded a little bit of the show. What if, what if we do the Cape Brothers? I love, I love that idea. Okay. All right. All right, we'll do a music show next week. The Cape Brothers on Ozarks at Large next week. Randy Dixon is with the Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Hey, by the way, Pryor Center, thanks for hosting us for the live recording of the oh, that Election was great. Podcast. Yeah, we're going to do more projects together. Sounds great. Thank you, Randy. All right. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Little Wing Productions presents Marty Stewart and his fabulous superlatives with special guest Junior Brown Friday, October 7th at the Auditorium in Eureka Springs. Tickets at theaud.org or tickets.thundertix.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us on this Monday, and thanks to everybody who contributed last week during our on-air fundraiser. The Rogers Lowell Area Chamber of Commerce is hosting its 2022 Northwest Arkansas Fall Job Fair Wednesday from 10 until 3 at the Frisco Station Mall at 100 North Dixieland Road in Rogers. The Chamber's Northwest Arkansas Job Fairs are the largest and longest-running job fairs in Arkansas, absolutely free to those seeking jobs. Currently more than 80 employers registered to attend. If you want more details about Wednesday's event, you can go to rogerslowell.com. Family Archaeology Day is Saturday, October 8th at Cane Hill College. Archaeologists from the Arkansas Archaeological Survey will be on-site guiding interactive activities that will simulate the ways archaeologists practice at a site like Cane Hill. The day will begin at 12.30 Saturday at the Cane Hill College building. Groups will rotate through stations, including an artifact ID race and pottery craft. The program is free to attend, but they are asking for registration in advance. That can be done at historiccanehill.org. And families can make art together at the Fort Smith Ram Saturday. The Fort Smith Regional Art Museum will host all kinds of activities from 11 to 3 as part of the Fort Smith Fall Festival. Many of the activities you'd expect at such a gathering, face painting, fall wreath making, a photo booth, and pumpkin decorating, but also skull painting. We're guessing a Halloween-type art activity. There will also be a trolley on rotation from the festival to the museum. More details at fsram.org. The University of Arkansas Theater began the 2022-23 season Friday night with the opening of a new play from MFA student Adrian Dawes. She spoke with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth about what audiences can expect to see. In 2019, Adrienne Dawes was just starting out her MFA program at the University of Arkansas when she got the inspiration to write a new play from an unlikely place, her Spanish class. The latest play from Dawes, titled This Bitch, Esta Sangre Quiero, is a modern adaptation of the 17th century work from Spanish playwright Lope de Vega. Dawes says the original subject matter was too rich to not dig into. And um, I was really struck by the story. I just thought, wow, I didn't, I didn't even, I'd never heard of Lope de Vega, even though he's like really huge in Latin America and other parts of the world. He is a contemporary of Shakespeare, but um, in, in our theater training here in the United States, we pretty much just study Shakespeare. So I, upon discovering this play, and just was like, wow, there's so much here. It was 2019. It made me laugh out loud. This play is over 400 years old. And I just thought, wow, this has this centers on a female character who has so much power and agency. And she's quite cruel to her servants, which is kind of um, very funny to me. But I just started thinking like, okay, this, I could see this as a modern play. How would I translate this story into like a modern era? And I knew I really wanted to have a lot of really strong female characters. That's something that's carried over from the original. I knew it would be sort of a zany comedy with lots of really quick entrances and exits and mistaken identity and really, really like lewd sexual humor. I knew it was going to be a part of it. That's also true in the original, just totally different time period. But a lot of what the play looks at is like poking fun at these hierarchies. Why is it that the nobility can only marry other people of, you know, that status? And why, why couldn't a countess be with her, her servant? And in today's era, I thought, okay, well, the first thing that came to mind was like social media influencers and how clout is sort of a status. It's kind of our modern day version of that hierarchy, whoever has the most followers and power and influence. 
that's where it went. Uh, the play now does have some of Lope de Vega's influence, like some of his sonnets are performed in the original Spanish. Um, one of the songs that's in the play is actually a Lope de Vega sonnet that uh, one of my collaborators just sort of adapted a little bit. So he's very much in the play, but it's very much its own modern thing. <laughs> yeah. And because this was, was it first staged or read at the Archetype Festival? It was like 20, 2000, 2021, right? Yeah. So I started working on it in 2020 uh, during the pandemic. And so the very first iterations of this play have were only on Zoom. Um, and so like our Archetype Festival, which is again a UARC, um, uh, almost every year there's a festival of new work that comes from students. And so in 2021, we did the play in January of um, 2021 and uh, and it went off really, really well. I mean, as you can probably imagine, trying to when you're when you're in an art form which is all about being in person and, and the audience connection going to zoom is like really another thing um it's not as fun especially comedy it's like you can't hear people laughing so uh even though there were all these challenges we as a cast just had so much fun working together um the director who's directing the thesis now was actually also hired to work on that zoom production so like all these little seeds got planted. That first cast also really influenced the characters. There were a couple of like choices about the way that someone talked or um, even the race of a character where in the initial you know draft of it, I wasn't like super specific about what it was. But then as we had like, for example, uh, a black actor, you know, fulfill this role, I thought, okay, well, this makes perfect, <laughs> this makes perfect sense. There's sort of a conversation about race and identity and sexuality. That's also kind of the more serious conversation in the play. So so yeah, uh, Zoom readings, uh, it had some readings outside of the University of Arkansas, like um, there's a festival in Austin, Texas that has a, like Latinx New Play Festivals was a part of that and some other things. And then just this year for the first time had two in-person readings. And so those are really important. You know, I could actually hear an audience laugh. <laughs> and I do want to talk about the name of the play. It's a great title, um, This Bitch, <laughs> Esta Sangre Quiero. Um, I, I love that it's like a pun on the idiom or shorthand for the idiom, which is a shorthand for the fable, which the original play is like based on. But it also really kind of, I think from an outside perspective, it really succinctly kind of tells you what the story is about or like who that character is. So yes. how did you come up with that title? Yeah, I. <laughs> what's so fun now is like if I Google my name and this bitch... <laughs> It's like it's like I, I'm also involved in the <laughs> in the title or the identification of bitch, and it is really interesting. You know, there was someone uh, on the crew who was like, "Oh man, like, is it a bad thing to call a woman a bitch?" Like, you know, kind of old school, like old fashioned kind of thinking about that word. But I think that that word is really claimed by a lot of women and femme people as like a source of power. Like, she's that bitch. She's a bad bitch. She's a boss bitch. All of that um, that shows that you have some power, some influence, some independence. So I think that's what attracted me. You know, that's the Diana I wanted to build. Like, yes, she has a lot of faults. She's, again, she's quite terrible to all of her, her servants. She's vain. She's obsessed with being famous. But I also think there's like a softer side to her. There, she does have vulnerability, you know, at, at the peak of her career. She really does want to find love and wants to find someone who can really accept all parts of her. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I had like a moment where like, oh, this is the title. I just I was just like riffing off of dog and a strong woman and, you know, and then just kind of came. And then Esta Sangre Quiero is um, in the play. There's this moment where she punches Teodoro and he starts bleeding from the nose. And she's like this. She wants his handkerchief. She wants to keep the blood, his blood, which is so creepy and weird. Um, and so uh, that that moment is on stage in, in my version. I just like that sort of creepy, weird element. <laughs> Uh, to just kind of throw it into the title, but I think most people just call it this bitch. But um, but yeah. And for you, you know, what about adaptation is exciting for you, especially for like you were saying how prolific Shakespeare is, and that's kind of oversaturated from an American perspective. But for people like Lope de Vega or others who maybe we don't know about, what's exciting about bringing them to the forefront? Yeah, I and mean, there's definitely all these conversations in the theater community about like how do we diversify the canon? How do we move beyond? Um, sort of the same white male writers. I mean, I think it's funny because Lobo de Vega is like a white guy, <laughs> you 
he's a Spaniard. Um, so, I mean, it's like the language diversity is sort of the hook there. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you think about adaptation, it's like you're helping a story survive. And so I think being really intentional about what are the stories we want to survive, who are, who are the storytellers we want to revere, who do we involve in the canon and who is displaced from that, who is ignored. And there is something about me stepping in, you know, I'm an American woman who only speaks a tiny bit of Spanish. I am both Black and Latina, uh, but I'm definitely attacking the story from an American perspective. And so what does that mean to have this like super old comedy, you know, from a white guy in Spain <laughs> be transformed to a play that involves a lot of Black and Latina characters um, and it's both a meld of the old world and the new, you know, I think that that's just... Um, finding projects like that where you can really do something different. I mean, we're, we live in an era of franchises just being and remakes, you know, think about TV and film. It's just like rehashing, rehashing, rehashing. And I feel like you've got to have a really good reason why, or have a really good unique slant on that. Yeah. And it's weird to think about this, like when I was reading about, about your play and, and kind of finding out what the, the story of it was, um, it feels kind of like, it's weird to say escapism because it does, tackle you know Mm -hmm. big issues like hierarchy and uh, race and class status but it's also like fun and funny and it it feels like refreshing for after two years of pandemic yeah we were in lockdown and and it happened to be I was I was working on this other project that was like very very serious was all about like police violence and sort of a dystopian point of view um, about, you know, a a Black American family. And uh, it was just like a really deep, dark kind of subject matter. And then when lockdown happened, I was like, okay, you know what I'm not going to (laughs) do is put myself in a mental space where I'm like physically being locked in while, while, you know, people are being murdered. There were these uprisings. It was just like too crazy. And so to just completely shift and be like, let's go back to a time before COVID, Let's look at a space where, like, um, quite often uh, Latine and Black folks on stage, it's all about rehashing trauma and these, like, really intense stories. And there's part of me that's like, well, those stories are important. We do need to know the truth of what's happened. But when we, again, oversaturate with, with that, especially for a predominantly white audience, I have, I have issue with that. So I was like, you know what I want to see is I want to see some really funny, cute people falling in love and pretending that they aren't in love. And let's go there. And of course, along the way, you do you do end up talking about some of those other lenses of, of their identities, but it's not at the forefront. It's just there's so many jokes and playful moments. And I think that that's really important. And, um, you know, in terms of like looking at farce as, as a genre in theater, there are not many women <laughs> writing farce and there are also not many people of color writing farce. That just felt like, OK, great, like there are other people doing this, too. There's not a lot, but this is a great space I can kind of move into and just feel out for myself. Yeah. And it also feels really accessible. Like I think, especially for, for people in Arkansas, if you're going to a theater, it's like a big event. Mm -hmm. You're going to, you know, it's something that's, that's big. And I think we think of theater as being really weighty and kind of beyond us sometimes. Um, And this feels like really accessible and exciting. I'm wondering if like that sort of played into how you write plays or, or come up with ideas. I mean, it's definitely in the philosophy. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. There is sort of an elitism to um, people can feel like, oh, I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. I don't have um, all of the cultural references. And so then I'm going to be left out. And I really came up in a theater that was very much grounded in community. And it was sort of like, if this is something fun and interesting to you, we can find a job for you. We can find a way for you. And starting out before I was ever, my my work was ever like being performed. I was a stage manager. I was, you know, volunteering at the box office. I was just kind of doing whatever I could to be in the orbit of that. And, you know, some spaces are really inclusive. They're really, really um, committed to inviting people in and being reflective of the communities that they serve. And then there are others that are really, you know, they're going to do the same popcorn thing to make a bunch of money it's going to be all white people there um it's going to be the same stories over and over again you know it's just it's sort of um just kind of depends who the leadership is and, and how they look at it but certainly the stories I want to tell I, I definitely think about like who who haven't we seen on stage sometimes that's just because like it's my own experience and I'm like uh, you know growing up I wanted to be an actor and I did train as an actor and one of the challenges I always had was that I never saw characters like me on stage, you know, or if they were, they were being killed 
or attacked. <laughs> so I kind of just got to a, a breaking point of like, you know, these are all the stories that we have and we all contain multitudes and, and how as a writer, it feels like I have the most power to like really inform that. But yeah, I do hope that, and, and for anyone that's worried about the Spanish, it's fine. You're going to fully understand what's going on, even if you don't know word for word what's going on. But I, I like that about it too. I mean, think about if you're a Spanish speaker going to see theater, how much is only in English, not translated for you. There are a couple of jokes and moments that only Spanish speakers are going to be able to have access to. And I like that, you know, <laughs> I like that different people will have different experiences of it, but hopefully everyone has an enjoyable experience and maybe it'll get the non-speakers to talk to someone who does speak Spanish and say, hey, what, what was going on <laughs> in that moment? <laughs> you know, all the better, you know, because to, to be bilingual is like a superpower. So we should we should <laughs> treat it as such. That was Adrian Dawes speaking with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth, her play This Bitch is on stage at the University of Arkansas Theater now through October 9th. For tickets, go to theater.uark.edu. Daniel Carruth's pieces are produced inside the Karen Taha News Studio. Mic check, mic check. This is Ryan Versi, KUAF's new underwriting director. KUAF's news and music programming reaches more than 50,000 people each week over the air, online, and through our iOS app. And you could reach our audience with your business or organization by underwriting on KUAF. To learn more about underwriting, email me at ryan at KUAF.com. That's R-Y-A-N at KUAF.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Last week, we talked with John Jetter, you might recall, music director and conductor of the Fort Smith Symphony, about a very busy month for the symphony. Well, that month became just a little less busy since that conversation. A chamber concert of indigenous music scheduled to take place at Mona in Bentonville has been canceled. That same chamber concert will still take place in Fort Smith Monday, October 17th at 7 o'clock at ProPAC, featuring music of indigenous composers, including Lewis Ballard and Jared Tate. More details at fortsmithsymphony.org. The University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences Mindfulness Program is offering online courses to the public during October and November that teach introductory skills for meditation and mindfulness. Three courses are being offered this fall. Each will last four weeks of one 75-minute class each week. First course starts tomorrow. The last one is scheduled to begin November 9th. The course, called Koru Mindfulness, is an introduction to mindfulness, meditation, and stress management skills. According to a description provided by UAMS, the skills help participants fully experience life moment-to-moment with kindness and without judgment. And the description continues. It helps participants learn to increase self-compassion while finding balance in life. The UAMS Mindfulness uh, Mindfulness Program certified instructors have taught this course to students, faculty, and trainees at UAMS since 2017. Now, the course available to the public. More details can be found at mindfulness.uams.edu. And a quick catch-up with the cross-country teams at the U of A. Both the Arkansas women's and men's cross-country teams won the 34th annual Chili Pepper Festival races at Agri Park in Fayetteville. For the women's team, ranked ninth in the country, it was the 10th consecutive Chili Pepper title. For the men, who are ranked 14th in the country, it was the first festival championship since 2018. Yeah, this is Andy Winger. I'm calling from Bella Vista. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye. I am Nora Culley, a 7th grader from Haas Hall Academy. Thank you for all that you do. This is Ray Dean Trees and Earring. I love you, KUAF. My name is Rebecca Cavanaugh, calling from Springdale, Arkansas. Thank you so much to Public Radio. Thanks. Bye. Hey, KUAF. It's Flyheimer from Fayetteville. Thanks for letting us call in. Bye. And thank you for listening and all of you who support KUAF financially at supportkuaf.com. Thank you again for your support. Last month, our fall fundraising month. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Rudy. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth and Randy Dixon. Additional content today came from the newsroom at KUAR, Public Radio for Little Rock and Central Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellums. Thanks for listening.